and we're, we're not always aware. And uh, we've been learning about unity and how unity comes through love and how love is really the foundation of everything, but that love is expressed in various characteristics and actions and, and uh, how, how that uh, causes us to experience the life God has and others to experience the life God has. And um, we have a, a, a testimony this morning, a video uh, that I'd like you to listen to. Amen, amen. Still no pain? Still no pain. You know, we, we, we're believing for God to do great things, and he is. He's doing it all through you. He's doing it all through the body of Christ. And yet many times we don't, we don't recognize it. We don't hear about it. And... You know, that's where when we, when we pray before service, before we pray before service, but when we pray before we go to the Word, we're praying that God's Word would be what it says it'll be. The Bible says it's truth. It sets people free. You know, God wants to set you free of the bondage, whatever it might be today. The Bible says that God's Word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. It gives us insight and guidance to be able to navigate this world that we live in. God knows what you're going to face, and, and he wants to prepare you for it. And it says that God's word is life and health to those who find it. He wants to bring healing and wholeness. And, and we're expecting this is going to happen every time, not just here, but we are expecting every time we gather and we hear the word of God, when the word of God goes forth, it's the same word that when God spoke it and creation was made, it's that powerful. There is the opportunity for every one of us here today to experience the life-giving healing, freedom, guidance from God and be able to take it with us as we go. Amen? So we're going to pray right now. So if you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, I thank you for those that have taken the time to be here and those that have taken the time to connect online. Father, you're not just here, you're everywhere. And we can hear from you. Your word says we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. I thank you, Father, for the privilege and honor to be able to speak your word today to the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, your beloved. And Father, I thank you as your word goes forth, it won't return void, but it'll accomplish that which you sent it forth to accomplish and prosper in the way it would go. That Father, there would be healings today. There would be freedom. There would be guidance. Guidance that, that is from above, wisdom from above, that's peaceable and easily entreated. And that Father, our, our lives would be changed. We would be transformed. And that, Father, we would, by your grace and for your glory and in your love, be who you created us to be and do what you have for us to do. 
And we thank you, Father, for this. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, we've been learning about unity and how important it is. And we've talked about it and connected it with revival because unity is connected with revival. There can't be revival without unity. But unity doesn't just happen. It's not like it's a, a mysterious thing. The Bible tells us how, how we become united, how we become connected. And it's, it's not only how it happens, it's how it's maintained. And we, we have been studying this from Colossians chapter 3, the third chapter of Colossians, and specifically... Uh, looking at how unity is, is forged, formed, and continued. And in verse 14, it says this, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. So we see that there's a clothing, there's something we're supposed to put on. And just like you put on clothes today and you put on clothes every day, you know, we need to clothe ourselves every day in love. But just like your clothing today, there are different parts to the outfit you put on. And there are different parts to this love, how, how we express the love of God, how people experience the love of God. And uh, it says, above all these things, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together. It connects us. Now, we can only be connected to the degree that we're connected to God who's love. This love binds us together, all right? And God is love. But if we don't have God or we're not connecting to God in our lives, we're not going to have a real strong connection to any other brother or sister in Christ. And so that first connection is with God. And then the next connection is in the body of Christ because we can't do this alone. God never intended any of us to try and stand on our own. And yet it's oftentimes that we, we try to either prove to God that we can do this or we don't want to let somebody else know we can't do this. We want to look good in other people's eyes. And yet God is saying that we, we need to be united. We need to be united in perfect harmony. God is a God that brings people together. He unites people. And uh, this, is, this is God who is love that connects us. And that connection is to continue, not just us connecting with God. There's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. God has said that we need the rest of the body. And many times we look around and we say, well, you know what? I, I, I need them. Well, I don't need him. And I don't need... No, the ones that we think we don't need, the scripture says we need more than we realize. And so we need everybody, but sometimes the enemy works overtime to bring division. And when the Bible talks about division, it says anything divided, whether it's a city, whether it's a kingdom, whether it's a family, whether it's a church, anything divided will not stand. It will be brought to desolation. It won't continue. And the enemy is working overtime to bring division in our society. We see it everywhere we look. And yet God wants us, the church, wants us, his people, wants us, his representatives, to show the love of God, our love for God, our love for each other, and show what the unity of the spirit can do in a world that is being broken up. And uh, this love that we're talking about, we learn that, that this love covers a multitude of sin, 1 Peter 4, 8. And when it says it covers it, it envelops it, it encases it. When, when sin happens, 
it hurts. It, it damages. But what God does is when we walk in the love of God, we begin to surround those things that somebody else has done to us. Instead of reacting in kind, we surround it with love. And, and the love that we surround it with, we've been looking at in verse 12 through 13, the characteristics of love. How, how, do, how does this manifest? How do we show love to other people? How do we walk in this love towards other people? It says, since God chose you to be holy people, he, he loves, you must clothe yourselves with all right, so it's a choice we make. We make a choice whether we're going to walk in love or walk in something else. If we walk in love, we're walking in what God has. We're walking in the path God has for us, the provision God has for us, and the power God has for us. But if we don't, we're not going to have the best because whatever God does is the best. But it says you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience making allowances for each other's fault, and forgiving anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So love is expressed, and people experience us walking in love, us extending love that God extended to us in tender mercy. We're merciful with people. When somebody's merciful with you, it means that they don't give you what you deserve, right? How many of you want everything that's coming to you? Some of us think, yeah, I want, yeah, but remember what you sow is what you reap. And, and there are things that, well, maybe you haven't. I've done that I don't want to reap on. And so I want mercy. And, and we need to walk in that mercy that we've been given by God because he loves us. And then it talks about kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and making allowances for each other's faults. You know, it's talking about all those other people, not you. Because they all have faults, but... Which one of us is perfect? None of us. None of us. So we, we need to make allowances for other people's faults. We need to walk in this mercy. We need to walk in this kindness and, and this humility and this patience and gentleness. And then it says forgiving as the Lord has forgiven you. And we've been looking at forgiveness and uh, understanding that uh, the forgiveness, uh, the word, and I'm not going to... Uh, say it, the Greek word, because I'm going to mispronounce it so it doesn't matter. But the first part of the Greek word for forgiveness is the word, the root word for grace, grace, and understanding that we're saved by grace. And grace, the Bible says, we're saved by grace. And it is a, anybody know what the Bible says it is? A gift. Thank you very much. It's a gift. And, and it's so that none of us would boast. We can't say, look what I did. You know, and, and because it's a gift, like any gift, what do we have to do to receive the benefit of any gift? Right, we have to recognize it, it's being given to us, and then we have to receive it. So our part is recognizing and receiving, God's part is extending. But he'll never push that on us, okay? And so that, that grace gift is is. In this situation, it is a pardon. When we forgive, it's a grace gift. We're gracefully pardoning somebody else. We're letting go of, of what has been done wrong. And uh, the definition also says uh, that it's to cancel a debt, to free from payment, to rescue. Um, C.S. Lewis said this about grace. We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea. 
until we have to practice it. Man, I read that and I thought, man, that's so true. That's so true. And Corey Tenboom, uh, you you may or may not know who she is. She experienced life in a uh, Nazi concentration camp. Her sister died there, and uh, very very bad treatment. And she said, "Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free, only to find out that prisoner is me." When, when we hold unforgiveness, we imprison ourselves. Like Mark was saying, you know, other people may go on with their lives, but we're kind of stuck. Um, and this gift of forgiveness, we've received forgiveness from God. And the Bible says we freely received and we should freely what? Give. Um, God blessed Abraham and said, the blessing that I'm blessing you with, I want you to bless other people with. We've been blessed with forgiveness. God continues to make forgiveness available to us, and we should be uh, offering forgiveness to others. And right here it says, so you must forgive others. And we talked about why we must do it. You know, we, God has set us free. We can do anything we want to do. But he encourages us in his word to do this. No excuses. No rationalization, no justification why we shouldn't. We should do it. And I went through a number of reasons why we should do it. The first reason is to be obedient to God. You know, God tells us to forgive. And so we should be obedient to God, but it's also to help us uh, show that we love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. So every time we choose to forgive somebody, we're showing God how much we love him, and we're honoring God. The second reason we looked at was so that we can receive forgiveness. You know in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The moment we withhold forgiveness from another person, it hinders God's forgiveness for us receiving God's forgiveness. So we need forgiveness. I don't know about you, I need God's forgiveness every day. And so I need to extend forgiveness every day. The third thing we learned was so that our faith isn't hindered. And the reason why it's hindered, because faith works by love. Love is expressed in forgiveness. When I don't forgive, I'm not walking in love, and it hinders my faith. So we need to walk in faith, but we can't if we don't walk in love and forgiveness. The next one is so that the enemy doesn't get advantage. You know, the Scripture tells us if we don't forgive... The enemy takes advantage of that. Wherever we have division, the enemy is operating in the middle of that. And, and finally, so other relationships aren't defiled. We ended last week with in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 15, and we're going to pick up there. It says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. This is how other relationships are damaged by our unforgiveness towards another person. It's not towards them, but because we're holding this unforgiveness, we're imprisoning ourselves and we're poisoning ourselves. It begins to affect all our other relationships. And... and you know, that's how the enemy gets so much mileage out of us not obeying God. But this starts out and says, pursue what? Peace. And, and that's part of the forgiveness. When we talk about the peace of God, 
that peace is the word irene. We've studied this before. It means to set it one again, to reconnect. And, and when we have something done to us and there's a division, we need to forgive and reconnect. Okay? We need to release what's been done, but we need to reconnect. And, and this peace, it says pursue peace with all people. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That grace of God is that forgiveness of God, the forgiveness we extend that has been extended to us. We release what's been done, and then we pursue peace. We pursue reconnecting. And when I say that, I know that sometimes we, we hesitate to reconnect. Now, I'm not saying you have to get right back into that situation, but we need to, if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to know that there's a connection that God has for us eternally, and we need to look to see how God wants to continue to develop that or, or use that in our lives. But it's, what, how are we supposed to do that piece? What's that first word? Pursue. Now, when, when I say that word pursue or you read that word pursue, what comes to mind? Go after it. Thank you. What else? Actively seek. You know, I, I, growing up, I, I used to watch a lot of TV, and there was a show that when I read Pursue, it immediately sprang to my memory, and it was Car 54. Now, some of you never have heard about that, but it was a police show. And, and I, I think about a police pursuit, and when I think about a police pursuit, is it something that just kind of happens? You know, it just, it's, it's very intentional. It's very intense. It's very focused. A police pursuit is about extending every effort to get to the goal that they're after, no matter what comes in the way. That's what I see is, is being presented here. Peace isn't something that we do when it's comfortable, when it's convenient, when it doesn't cost too much, when, when we don't have anything else to do. This is a priority. And it needs to be a priority in our lives because without that peace, we're not going to be able to connect the way God has for us and not have the impact that God intends us to have in these days. You know, the Bible tells us about the revival, about the harvest of souls that's, that's at hand. You may not be seeing it, but they're seeing it all over the world, and we will see it in the United States. There's no doubt that that's going to happen. God's not going to leave us out, but... The only way that is going to happen is as we walk in love, as we choose to let go of all the things that we've chosen to hold on to and make more of a priority than walking in God's love, which is being tenderheartedly merciful, which is being kind, which is being humble, which is being uh, gentle which is being patient and which is being forgiving. And yet we don't see that on the landscape of our society. We see a, a vast 
drought of that in our society. There, it's just not, not present. And yet we, the church, are supposed to be walking in that. We're supposed to be living that. And we're not even seeing it among Christians. And so we have to make this a priority. We need to pursue this. Not a lot of the other things that we're pursuing. There's nothing in a Christian's life that has greater priority than pursuing God. Supposedly. And yet, unfortunately, there are so many things that we've allowed to rise up. They seem good. They seem noble. They seem that they're going to be world-changing. And I want to tell you something. Nothing will come near changing the world like God's love. That's the only thing that will cause permanent change. The rest of it we manufacture as human beings, it is short-lived. But when we do what God says, it's eternal and it has eternal impact. And so we're to pursue this peace. Pursue being set against, setting Reconnections, again, once forgiveness happens, we reconnect. It's a priority. It's a high priority. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Connecting through setting it one again. And, and how are we to approach this? How are we to... Determine, we, we, we walk in love, we forgive, we release, and then, you know, I'll get, I'll get to the reconnection. No, this says make every effort. What's the first effort we should ever make towards anyone? Outside of loving, how should we love them first? First way is to pray for them. To pray for them. And so that first step, making every effort, you pray for them. We're told we're supposed to pray for our enemies. If we're supposed to pray for our enemies, how much more so should we pray for a brother or sister that may have hurt us and understanding that hurting people end up hurting people? But is it easy? Is it the first thing you want to do is to pray for that? You know, I, I know how I used to want to pray for people that, that I had had some challenges with. It, it, was, it was like the disciples. Remember when, when Jesus was passing through a town and they didn't really receive them? And, and the disciples said, hey, Lord, do you want us to call fire down? And, and Jesus' response was, yeah, get them. Right? Oh, no. What was his response? He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. It definitely wasn't God's spirit. So if it's not God's spirit, I want you to know. It's the enemy that's back in that kind of perspective and action. And yet it's so easy to give ourselves to that. Yeah, God, judge them, get them. But we see Jesus on the cross. He's not saying to the people that tortured him that abandoned him, that lied about him, that were killing him, he said, Father, forgive them. If Jesus prayed for forgiveness 
from the cross in that kind of condition. And he did it as a, a, a human being indwelt by the same spirit that you and I are. We have no justification or rationalization not to do the same thing. But Lord, I can't. You can do all things except forgive through Christ who strengthens you. Right? No. No. It's going to take the grace of God. But forgiveness is a grace gift. And then we pursue peace. Pursue peace. Not just letting go now, God. How do we get the reconnection that you have for us in the body of Christ? They may not be your best friends, but there's some sort of connection that God has for you with them. It may be just prayerfully. But whatever it is, we need to be willing to facilitate that connection. Help to make it happen, and also help to maintain it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Now, we've been reading out of the book of Colossians. We started out with Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, where it talked about above all these things, clothe yourselves with love that binds us together in perfect harmony. Then we looked at verse 12 and 13 to see what that love looks like. But this is verse 15. I want to encourage you that when, when we read something, you know, I, I'm hoping that when we go into a book and have a foundational scripture, you'll go in at another time and read around that foundational scripture we're looking at so you get the context. And, and this is the one right after the ones we've been looking at. And it's so important. It says, well, let me just back it up to verse 14. Clothe yourselves with all love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And verse 15 says, and let the peace of God. So there's a connection there. Let the peace of God, the irony, the setting it one again, the reconnecting of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. So the peace... Is, is related to that connection in one body. We are one body. And just like your body or my body, it doesn't function well if parts are not connected. If I'm not connected in the body, the body's not going to be what God intended it to be. If you're not connected, we get hurt. And what's the first thing we want to do when we get hurt? Well, we want to hurt them, but before we want to hurt them, we want to draw back from the hurt that we're experiencing. We want to back up, back away, and put some distance. And then we want to hurt them. But we want the hurt to stop, so we want to remove ourselves. And that's what happens in the body of Christ. We get hurt by somebody, and, and it hurts. It's not comfortable. It's not what God intended, and yet the enemy is having his way, and we need to be proactive, and that's why love covers. We're not running away from it, but we're going to stand up in God, and we're going to be merciful. We're going to be kind. We're going to be humble. We're going to be gentle. We're going to be patient. We're going to be forgiving, and then we're going to pursue peace. We're going to cover that sin that irritation, that injury with the love of God. And then we're going to love by expressing that peace 
looking to see how God wants us to be connected in the body of Christ. Not running away and, and letting peace rule. What does that mean? Peace rule. Well, that word rule means to govern, to prevail, or to arbitrate. Now, I, I'm not familiar with that. Teresa, as a lawyer, would completely understand that. I should have her come up and explain what that means. But I, I, I looked at a definition. It means to settle differences between opposing or, or contending parties. To settle differences. Well, no, I don't need to settle a difference with them. They've hurt me. I'm backing up. Uh, They do their thing. I'll do my thing. That's still a division. It's still a division. And that division allows the enemy to operate. And we don't need to give him any more place than he already is finding cracks in the armor to get. But that's where we need to let peace govern. That we recognize, no, I I can't just do life without this person. I don't know how you want me connected, but Lord, I'm going to let peace rule. I'm going to let the perspective and the mentality that we're the body of Christ, we're supposed to be connected, members in particular, every joint supplies And I'm not going to let the enemy rob them and me of what he has between us. Because whatever it is God has that connection to be, it's going to supply something good, something God. The message says it this way. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. That's pretty clear. So this is supposed to be ruling in our lives. It's supposed to be a priority. We're supposed to be always aware that when there's been some sort of damage done in the body of Christ between brothers and sisters in Christ, husbands and wives, parents and children, whatever it is, we should be forgiving, loving forgiving and looking to reconnect. How does God want us to reconnect? That should be always a part of it. Not just, well, I love God. I'm going to lovingly forgive, but I'm going to forget them. No, that's, they're part of who you are supposed to be as part of the body of Christ. So how far, how far do we go? How far do we go for this peace? Romans chapter 12, verse 18 and 21, really kind of line it out. It gives us the limitations that we can, we can put in our lives. It says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Wow. Thank God, God knew that there were going to be some situations that it wasn't going to be possible. Well, how could that be? Because just like in my life and your life and every other Christian's life, we can choose not to allow God to have his way. 
I can choose to say, yeah, I know God, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And God's not going to make me do it, but I'm going to pay a price for not doing it because when I don't do what God says, when I miss the mark of God or get off the guidance of God, I'm moving into the realm of sin. And what does the Bible say about sin? The wages, the payoff, the result, the product of allowing sin in my life is death. And so in this situation, if it is possible, and there are sometimes it's not because I'm willing to do as much as it depends on you. You're willing to do whatever it takes to build that bridge instead of allowing a wall and a division to be there. But the other person isn't. We go as far as we can and believe God for that restoration. Because in the body of Christ, we need our brothers and sisters. But we as brothers and sisters, just like everyone, need to change. We need to adjust to be more like God, more loving. And we'll be less damaging to each other. And as we do, we're going to experience what God intended us to experience, which is, is this revival, this this. Revival in our lives with God, reconnecting with God. Revival in the body of Christ, reconnecting in the body of Christ. And that unity is going to produce people out there recognizing we're followers of Jesus. They'll know you're not my disciples. They'll not be able to deny you're my disciples by your love one for another. And so... People are going to get impacted. They're going to get saved. Their lives are going to be transformed. And that's as we do what God has for us to do, as we walk in love and forgiveness and, and pursue peace, uh, live peaceably. It's, it's that, that word peaceably is the word irene, but it's in the form of a tense, present, continuous, which I don't understand all this. I read people that understand this. But it means it's something that's always going on and forever going on. We're always looking to restore connection. However God wants it. Not the way we want it. However God wants it. And, and how we do, it, it goes on to say, don't be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with what? Good. And, and man, there's so much good. But it's not talking about just any run-of-the-mill good. When it, when it talks about good, it's talking about the fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke each have recorded when a person came to Jesus and said, uh, good master or good teacher. And Jesus' response was, why do you call me good? There's no one good but who? God. No one good but God. God is good. All the time, all the time, and without change. And he's the only one that's always good. And in James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. So when it says, Don't be overcome by evil, that, that word overcome means to be conquered, subdued, or overthrown. Man, there are Christians that are being overthrown every day. By evil. And it's not going to get better. 
The Bible says that, that as time goes on, things are going to get more difficult in the world, but the grace of God that's afforded to you and me and offered to you and me, the love of God that floods our heart causes us to be able to overcome in the midst of everything going sideways. The Bible says darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people, and we're seeing it. And it's not going to get lighter except the fact that you and I, the Bible says we're going to be light in that darkness. And as time goes on and we are becoming more and more like Jesus, we're being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. We're conformed to the image of love. The light that God is revealing in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, that light is going to be seen more clearly and more powerfully than ever before because it's growing darker. You know, if you take a flashlight out today outside and you just hold it out there, uh, it's not going to show that much, but you wait. Wait until it gets dark. It's not gotten brighter. Everything around it has gotten darker and it's seen more clearly. The things are getting darker and they have to. God said they will. But for you, as a child of God, as, as light in this dark world, God's love, God's presence, God's provision, God's power is going to be seen more clearly in our lives as we allow him to have his way. As, as we allow him, who is love, to live big in our lives. We choose to, to walk in love and be flooded by the love and not do what we used to do, but we do what God has for us to do. And we're merciful and we're, we're kind and we're humble and we're gentle and, and we're patient and we're forgiving. And that's how we overcome evil. But you know, it doesn't make sense to my, my pea brain. When, when I see, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, overcome evil with God, overcome evil with love, overcome evil with kindness. That's what we were trained in the world like, right? No. This is a whole new way of living. Overcome evil with patience. Overcome evil with mercy. Overcome evil with humility. Overcome evil with forgiveness. Now, I'm telling you right now, if we approach this and kind of mentally dissect this with our natural understanding, the Bible says the wisdom of God is foolishness to natural man. And if we don't get out of our way of thinking, the way we were taught in the world, we'll never get into the things of God. And the world will never see Jesus the way they need to see Jesus. I really butchered this in the first service, but I, I was reminded of a bumper sticker where it said, thank you, John. No Jesus, no peace. But when you know Jesus, you'll know peace. Why? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Without the Prince of Peace, you'll never know that peace. And it's not just something that's internal, it's something that extends outward to reach out to people. To not just let relationships fall by the wayside because the enemy got a foothold. But we reconnect. We choose to do that. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we reconnect? What, what does it take? When we go back to... To verse 9 in Romans chapter 12, 
it begins to give us some indication. And I, I'm running out of time, but we're going to go through this quickly. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, when it says hypocrisy, we hear people refer to us as Christians as hypocrites. When they say that, what are they indicating? What are they trying to infer about you and me? Yeah, we say one thing, we do another. That's what hypocrisy is about. It's about not being, not having integrity, not being what we say, not doing what we say. And so our love shouldn't be two-sided where we say we love and then we backbite somebody. We undermine somebody. We, no, love doesn't do that. Love does not do that. And so part of the definition of this word hypocrisy, another, another word for it, a synonym, is duplicity. Speaking or acting in different ways. Saying one thing and doing another. And another word that was a synonym for hypocrisy was deceit. Where there's deceit, there's what? Loss. We can't allow any deception in our love. Because there's no deception in God. And if we do, there's going to be loss. It says, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. That's clinging to God, clinging to love. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving who? Everything you and I do or don't do, it's unto the Lord, supposedly. And if I do this to the least of these, I've done it unto who? To the Lord. And that's why it's so important that we recognize... Man, the time I blow up on somebody, the Lord says, really? I forgive you. And if he's going to do that for me, I should be doing that for him and for others. Because I'm freely receiving this. But this is not, I think we can all agree, this is not what we naturally do. This is so contrary to what I am prone to doing and that's a clear indication that this is a new and life-giving way but it's God's way and I'm supposed to be realigning myself with the ways of God not with the ways of the world and I've got to depend on God the grace of God the empowering presence of God to be who he said I can be and do what he said I can do. And I cannot do it without him. Just like I can't be saved without him. I can't do any of this without him. And neither can you. It's us depending on God. And the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That his power is made complete or full in our weakness. You know, we don't want anybody to know what our weaknesses are, what our frailties are, what our flaws are. But I'm telling you, you can't hide them from God. And when we take those to God and we say, God, you know, I, I'm struggling in this. That humility, transparency, and honesty, and connection with God, 
is going to afford us God pouring his grace out in our lives to empower us to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do that will amaze all the people around us, just like it did with the, the people around the disciples. They said, these, these guys are unlearned men, but they're such wisdom. And then they got it. Oh, yeah, they've been with Jesus. See, this is what it's all about. It's not about us looking good. People be impressed with us. This is about us showing how good God can be through flawed, frail vessels. Because the one that needs, they need to be drawn to is Christ. He's the one. It goes on to say, rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer. All of those are indications that things aren't the best. But this is what love does. It helps sustain us through all these difficult times. Because 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, love never fails. And then it says, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Go ahead. What's that first word? Bless. Bless. That's part of the reconnecting. We forgive, and then we need to pursue peace. Reconnect. How do we reconnect? We bless them. Oh, no, no, I don't... I, 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 I don't, I'll, I'll do good ju just if I don't slap them. No, God's saying just not slap them, not ignore them, not distance yourself. Bless them. Bless. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is still talking in the realm of the body of Christ. You're going to get persecuted by people in the body of Christ. People are going to say things about you that are not true. And they may say things that are true that they shouldn't be saying. And what are you supposed to do? Fight fire with fire. No. We're to forgive them. We're to pursue peace. And, and how do we pursue peace? Bless them. Bless them. That is nothing short of the miracle-working power of God in a human being. Because it's not what we want to do. And God knew it, and that's why he said, uh, don't curse, bless. <laughs> he just wanted to put that little extra emphasis to remind us, bless them. Don't curse them. Don't do what you're prone to doing. Don't do what you naturally do. Don't do what's familiar. Do what I have, this new and living way to walk, and bless them. Oh, how do I do that? First thing you do is you pray for them. Pray God's blessing on them. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And I'm going to tell you something, just like any time we pray, anything we do, we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. It's not what you feel. You do this as an act of obedience to God. God, I just ask you to bless them. I remember when I was going through a really hard time with someone and it was, I, you know, sometimes I get real dramatic with God. 
And I was like, God, I've got a thorn in the flesh. Your word says it's a messenger sent of Satan. And I was referring to a person that was giving me a hard time. And, and, <laughs> and I'm trying to impress on God how difficult this is. And you know what God told Paul was, my grace is sufficient. Paul didn't listen to him, prayed again and prayed again. Prayed three times for this. Like he was going to convince God, twist his arm. And I kept saying, God, this is a messenger. Just, just, you know. And I heard in my spirit, not an audible word, but I knew. Bless him. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. Because I didn't want to do it. This is a person that had injured me. That had been an irritation to me. That had, for everything I could see, was not being directed by God, but they're a brother and sister in Christ. Brother or sister in Christ. And I'm hearing, bless them. Pray for them. If you don't understand how hard that is, and I started praying, okay, God, bless them. Yeah, that's my prayer. Bless them. And I, I, I was aware that I wasn't praying like I would pray for my wife. That's not the way you pray for Debbie. Well, I love Debbie. Right. You're supposed to love this person. You're supposed to forgive them. You're supposed to pray blessing on them. Pray it like you mean it. Okay, Lord, I, I pray that you would bless them. Bless them, O oh Lord. I felt like a hypocrite. And the reason why I felt like a hypocrite was because I didn't feel what I was saying. But the Lord said, you're doing it by faith. And eventually, I'm going to tell you something, eventually the feelings changed. And there was a real concern that I had for this person. And I was praying, God, please bless them. Bless them. Heal them. Have your will accomplished in them. Use them in a way that would be fulfilling to you and fulfilling to them. Do you know who got released in that? I did. The pain that I was experiencing was gone. And that's why God says, bless them. He wants them blessed. He wants you blessed. And the only way to do it is have somebody start the blessing. Somebody walk in love, walk in forgiveness. Pursue peace. Bless somebody. Because when you bless somebody, it builds a connection. God knows we need connection in the body of Christ. We need connection with God. We need connection with one another. Because when all this happens, when we become united, when we become one, because of love, one with God, one with one another, the world's going to see it. And they're going to be 
moving towards God. Now, I want to tell you something. I read something, and, and I, I didn't know what to do with it. And it's by a man by the name of Pastor Shane Eidelman. And it's about revival. And he, 10 years ago, he started praying for revival. And I'm just going to read parts of it. He prayed that the Lord would bring revival to the churches. But he said, I was not ready for the response that followed. After I prayed, it was almost as if God was saying, you don't want revival. Now, I want revival. You want revival, right? But listen. Felt like God was saying, you don't want revival. It'll ruin your schedule, your dignity, your image, your reputation as a person who is well-balanced. You know, when we have revival, when we have God having people saved, it's not going to fit neatly into our schedules. It, it's, it's, when somebody gets saved, it's like they're newborn, Right? The Bible tells us that. But he goes on to say, even the most dignified and reserved among you will be broken, humble as little children. The proud and self-righteous will not be able to stand in my presence. The doubter and unbeliever will either run for fear or fall on their knees and worship me. There can be no middle ground. The church will never be the same. And this is why. When revival happens and people start coming to the Lord, they don't know what they're doing. They're like babes. In the first service, Shelby was sitting up here. Shelby's just, Shelby and Taylor. Taylor's in the back, Shelby's in the front. I guess she's closer to God. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor. But, you know, hey, Taylor, is life just the same as it used to be before the baby was there? Little change? Somebody's going to have to spread their arms with them. Yeah, massive change. It is not the same. Are you doing all the things you want to do and used to do and like to do? No. No. See, that's just it. We say we want revival. We want to see masses of people saved. But these are going to be babies. They make messes. Your kid have any messes? One or two? Lots. And who cleans those up? Do you have a group that comes in and you call and say, hey, there's a mess. Come on in and take care of it. Yeah, you guys work together. Do you have a schedule? Is it always on schedule? You got everything just the way you planned it? Right. And so what I'm getting at is the fact that you and I have become so determined to have our will. And even Jesus said, Father, not my will, your will be done. We want to believe we want to see people saved. We want revival to happen. But we have to be ready to pay the price. We have to be ready to have our lives disrupted. We have to be ready to do the work that's necessary that, other, that these people aren't going to be able to do for themselves. We're going to have to serve 
and sacrifice for their growth. Because you know what? Every one of us sitting here, all of us, somebody did that for us. And I am grateful. And I don't even know all the people that have. And people are still doing it for me because I make messes. Because I'm still growing. And people help me and they come alongside me and they help me to learn and grow and help clean up my messes. If you love God, God loves people. And if we'll love the body of Christ the way God has for us to love our brothers and sisters and walk in that love and pursue peace, the world's going to beat that door down in every church that'll do this. And there are going to be a whole bunch of newborn babes that are going to need all sorts of help from everyone. We all have a part. But we all have to be loving enough towards God, towards our brothers and sisters, that we don't just leave that work for them. And we're re ready to get involved and invested and imparting. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm going to say it here because I just believe that I'm supposed to. What's happening in America and across the world in churches is fewer people are coming back to church to be involved in the, the meeting of the church, in services. And this is, this is driven by the enemy. Because we can't be what God has for us to be apart from the local church. That is the mechanism, the organism that God intended to cause the body of Christ to grow up and to reach the world. But the enemy's trying to set up the church for failure. The church will not fail. But set up the church for failure that there is going to be an onslaught of people being saved less than what should be there, there to take care of them. And of those that are there taking care of them, people are going to bail because, oh, this is too hard. I don't know about you, but I have told God, not on my watch. Not in my life. I'm going to be what you have for me to be, and I'm going to do what you have for me to do. And I'm asking you to be praying because every joint supplies, every one of us has a part. God has for no one to come to a meeting of believers and not be actively involved. I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm just telling you to go to the one who has something for you to do. He's created you with a purpose. And you'll never know the fulfillment until you fulfill what God has for you. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, people, people sometimes say, oh, I don't feel like I belong. But they don't because they haven't made themselves a part. And this, this connection, this revival, connecting with God, connecting with one another. You know, the only thing that God saw in all of creation that was not good was man was not connected says he was alone. He was isolated. It's not exclusively about being married. It's about being connected in the body. 
being connected with other human beings, the worst penalty we have in our society is to put somebody in isolation. And yet we live in isolation all the time. We live disconnected because we've been hurt. We're afraid of being hurt. We can't let go of the hurt. And we need to allow the love of God to flood our lives. That love will bring healing. It'll restore. And as, as it does, we reconnect with God who gives us abundant life. We're able to step out in faith and in love and pursuing peace and reconnecting the body of Christ as God has for us to. Which sets us up to be prepared to take care of those that are going to come because they see the unity. The oneness Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 between us and God and us and each other. And how it will, it will prove to the world that God sent Jesus as his son. We are in the last days. There are people coming to the Lord all over the world, giving their lives to Jesus. It's coming. It's here. And it needs to be us that are ready, willing, and able, waiting to take care of those that, that are coming into the kingdom. It's God connecting people, forgiving people, connecting them with him and in the body of Christ. And if you have never received Christ, you'll never know what that's like. But he's offering it to you. It's a gift. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation, the gift of grace, the gift of love. God so loved he gave his son. And today... Like any gift, if you're going to receive the benefit of it, you need to recognize it. Recognize Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven and came to earth and lived life as a human being, tempted in everything, and not giving in to the temptation, but going to the cross, an innocent man, and dying to pay the price for your sin and my sin recognizing he did that, and then receiving. Turning around from us running our own lives and turning the control over to God. No longer us being Lord of our lives, Jesus being Lord of our lives. If you've never done that, I want to pray a prayer with you today that will give you a brand new beginning. The Bible says old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You become a new creation in Christ. But it's, it's a beginning. It's a beginning. And there's all sorts of new things you'll grow up into. We're all growing up into. And if you've never done that, I invite you to pray with me today. We're going to pray together. So I would ask everyone to join me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world was tempted in all things and sinned in nothing. Went to the cross, an innocent man, and paid the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I recognize your sacrifice for me. I repent of my sin.
I receive you as my Savior and Lord. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me and the brand new beginning that begins today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.